They certainly tried to show us and explain that there's some nutrition here. Back then, it was kind of what I call the Jane Fonda jazzercise. So it was, they were like, this is not too much fat, not too much calories. It's good. Here's why. And so I equate the not too much fat, not too many calories to just the value of the meal. And so they were all about the value and things. You're listening to Financial Grown Up with me, certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel, author of How to Be a Financial Grown Up. And you know what? Being a grown up is really hard, especially when it comes to money. But it's okay. We're going to get there together. I'm going to bring you one money story from a financial grown up, one lesson, and then my take on how you can make it your own. We got this. Hey, financial grown up friends. That was Courtney Ream talking about family dinners growing up, emphasis on family. They ate together generally seven nights a week. And while, as you'll hear in his story, it wasn't about the food, the food did provide a largely unspoken lesson about money allocation and priorities. I'm really excited to share this story. I think we're all going to find something that we can relate to here and put to work in our own lives. All right, first, a quick welcome. We keep things short here around 15 minutes. Flex time for busy listeners because you can listen to one episode or you can listen to a few if you have more time. And make sure to subscribe if you haven't done so already so you won't miss any upcoming episodes. And make sure when you do so to go into settings and set up the auto download. That way you never have to think about it again. And if you have a free moment after that, leave a review. We see every one of them. We really appreciate it. And it is the best way for other people to hear about the show and for us to grow. And speaking of that, of course, you can also tell a friend. All right, let's get to Courtney. There is something in this episode for everyone. Courtney Ream is not as famous as he should be or as he will be. Pay attention to this guy and his brother, by the way, who's also his business partner, Carter. After stints at Goldman Sachs and success creating and then selling their popular spirits company, Vive, the brothers are now helping nurture other success stories with their company, M13. It's a disruptive brand development studio and venture capital firm. Their portfolio includes investments in some names you may or may not have heard of, like Lyft, ClassPass, Pinterest, Bonobos, Warby Parker, and more. And by the way, in their spare time, they wrote a book for anyone who wants to rev up their brand, Shortcut Your Startup. Courtney also dropped some random facts I never knew, and I bet you didn't either. So pay close attention. Here is Courtney Ream. Courtney Reeb, you're a financial grown-up. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. And I'm so excited to have you. Not only are you and your brother, I should say, the inventors of Vive, which a lot of people are fans of, you now have a new company, which we'll talk more extensively about after your money story, but M13, which is a brand development company. You have investments in a lot of really cool companies from ClassPass to Casper to Lyft. Tell us just briefly about it. And what is M13? M13 has a really cool origin, the name, right? Yeah. Well, we want to kind of have that mysterious MI6 kind of, I don't know what they do, but it must be something cool <laughs> sound to it. But the literal name M13 is the brightest cluster of stars in the galaxy, whereby the sum of the whole shines greater than the individual parts. So it's this idea of kind of connecting the dots and putting the pieces together, which is what we're really endeavoring to do with M13. Cool. And I should mention, you also have a book. We do. You know, what we're trying to do right now is kind of 
uh, with M13 is build a company for building companies. So we're starting some of our own. We're working with other companies. And so we kind of, we have a, I guess I'd call it a venture capital arm and then a brand development studio. And we're really trying to institutionalize the platform or the machinery of how you create brands. So we decided to try to codify that and write a book called Shortcut Your Startup. That is a lot of the principles and things we're doing because we believe it's, it's the uh, new age of creating consumer brands and things like that. So we wanted to share what we've learned and then hopefully continue to improve on it with what we're doing with M13. Love that. And you also learned a lot from your parents growing up. I know your father unfortunately passed away a little more than a year ago, but there were a lot of lessons around the dinner table about saving and splurging. Tell us your money story, Courtney. So I think one of my most vivid memories growing up is that my family was really big on the lost art of having family dinner. Probably almost until the time we got to high school, we probably did it seven days a week, just about, and even through high school, probably four or five, which I think is almost unheard of. But what stands out to me is my parents, who were very frugal, even when they didn't have to be, but always very value-oriented, we would probably four nights a week eat some kind of Stouffer's Lean Cuisine AKA TV dinner. And so the only real choice for the night would be, are we going to have spaghetti tonight? Or are we going to have chicken and vegetables? Whatever it may be. Right. But these weren't, your mom wasn't cooking spaghetti from scratch. These were heat up meals for five, $10, whatever they were going for at that time. Right. Cause I remember being a teenager and I was always a little bit of a smart, you know what? And I, my mom <laughs> would say, okay, I'm going to cook dinner. I'm like, you call that cooking. And she's like, you know what I mean? Just pick which one you want. And so, <laughs> you know, my, I think my family's a bunch of type A, busy bees, people on the go, but we would have TV dinners three or four nights a week. And then Sunday would always be the day where my parents would say, all right, we're going to go out for a nice dinner. Where do you guys want to go? Nine out of 10 times growing up in Chicago in the nineties, we'll say, it would be sushi. And despite what people may think now, sushi was super exotic oh, yeah. and rare back then to the point that not one friend of mine ate sushi. My my friends in high school, like on the football team and stuff, when I would walk somewhere with a cut roll of sushi, they would take it out and throw it back and forth like it was an egg toss because they were so um, wowed by what the heck sushi was. So anyway. And it was expensive. Yeah. And it was expensive. And we certainly grew up having every opportunity. But having said that, I could not have gone out for sushi four nights a week. So it was a great lesson. And all right, I'm going to have a TV dinner tonight, not really kind of realizing how some of those nitrates and processing and all that good stuff. (laughs) It was a different time. Give your parents a break. We didn't know at the time. Now we're all eating clean. Yes, exactly. But I I definitely was able to um, scarf down a few of those dinners knowing that Sunday was around the corner and we were going to have our favorite sushi dinners. Did your parents ever talk to you about the financial decisions behind that? My parents didn't explicitly talk about, but they certainly tried to show us and explain that, hey, we we don't have time, nor can we go out for sushi every night, but this is still a really good meal. There's some nutrition here. Back then, it was kind of what I call the Jane Fonda jazzercise. So it was, they were like, this is not too much fat, not too much calories. It's good. Here's why. And so I equate the not too much fat, not too many calories to just the value of the meal. And so they were all about the value and things. So for our listeners, what is the takeaway? How can people apply this lesson of saving and then splurging to their own lives? My parents are both highly disciplined people, and I would like to think that has trickled down to us. And so even to keep it with food, since it's such a a bonding occasion, my parents love to tell stories of living in New York City right after they graduated college. And they would go out to dinner once a week because they felt like it was important to do right when they were newlyweds, but they couldn't afford to really go out to dinner. So they would share one appetizer, one entree, one dessert, and one coffee. 
the fact that they had the discipline to still find a way to enjoy and make the most of whatever they could do, but they had the discipline to realize we can't go out for a full-blown meal all the time. And that made a big impression on me. What's the most memorable financial lesson your dad taught you? My dad checked every bill from every restaurant, whether we spent $7 or $70, he would check every bill. I'm still to this day, I do that. And I'm, I'm shocked how often, you know, there's a mistake on the bill. And most of people, if you don't really check it closely, they don't catch it. They're like, oh, they threw another drink on there. And maybe you don't care, but might as well at least know. And my dad uh, would always joke, it's funny how the restaurant very rarely makes an error in your favor. He just kind of taught me to really dot your T's and cross your I's. And, and my dad was one of those guys who could do incredible math in his head. So none of this stuff where you just take the amount of the check and double it to do the tip or something like that. I mean, he would calculate whatever number was in his mind, 16%, 17% without tax because he didn't believe you tipped on tax back then and just do it in his head and uh, write it down. So just having a facility with numbers and being in the details was something I really took from him. Right. He didn't have apps that would split things right. up and calculate everything for him. No calculators on his phone because <laughs> there was no phones. He was, he was like a human calculator, at least up to maybe two or three digits. So for our listeners, what's the takeaway from that? I think there is that old-fashioned way to do things, right? And we got to make sure in today's world we don't lose it in the world of talk to text or voice or you name it. Because I always say to people, do you know why telephone numbers are seven digits? not including area code, because seven digits is roughly the amount of digits that can stay in your short-term memory, depending on how you define that, 30 seconds to a minute, can stay in your memory and you can remember it. So back in the day when, when phone numbers were created, you really needed to remember that thing or, or even if you wrote it down. And so it was important that it stayed in your short-term memory. And now think how few numbers we actually know off the top of our head. So we have to make sure we just don't lose those skills. I love that. Speaking of skills, let's talk about your everyday money tip because we were joking before we started taping that you are, I can't even keep track, Courtney. I, I know you got off an overnight, but then it was delayed and you were on the tarmac. You travel a lot and you don't use a lot of cash, but cash is important in terms of this one everyday money tip that you're going to share. Yes. I always keep an emergency $100 bill just for a rainy day in my um, briefcase. My briefcase is more of a tech to me backpack, but I always keep it in there, try to always replenish it when I use it. And as silly as it sounds, obviously it takes up no room. And there are so many times where I'm someplace I'm like, I have no money. I'm like, wait, the emergency hundred. So I would encourage people, whether it's an emergency 20 or 50 or hundred, whatever it is, always kind of hide it from yourself so you don't use it too often, but then always have it available. Great advice and something we all should definitely do. All right, let's talk a little bit more about M13. Where are you taking this company? Because this, this was basically formed after you sold Vive. What's happening with it next? And what should we look forward to hearing about? Yeah, as I alluded to, I think our whole thing when we sold Vive was we had um, you know, started and operated some companies. We had been on the boards of a bunch of other companies that thankfully have been successful. For example, there's a probiotic and kombucha line called Kavita that Pepsi bought a couple years ago. Basically, all consumer tech companies. We probably made, at that time, maybe three dozen angel investments. And we said, you know, we tried to kind of step back and do the proverbial lift your head up, see where the world's going. And we thought, yeah, of course we could, we had plenty of ideas. We could start a new company, try to make it successful, sell it or, or not sell it. But we really think we're living in this golden age of creating brands. Again, we focus on consumer tech brands. And by that, I mean, consumer brands that tend to be techable. So that can be anything like a, 
direct-to-consumer online brand or even something like a, a Lyft that we're big investors in or Pinterest. Okay. Give us some more examples. Yeah, drop some names. Drop some names. Okay. Um, let's see. Right now I'm wearing Bonobo's pants, Warby Parker glasses, some of the mattress companies. So it's all things that we basically believe that every consumer brand needs to be saying to themselves, how can it be more of a media and tech company? Because what's really changed is that this is the golden age of creating brands. I saw a funny meme the other day that was like, I want to create a brand. And someone says, how should I do it? And he goes, oh, it's really easy. You just get someone to give you a name, a logo, and then you make it in China and you sell some ads on Instagram. And um, it was obviously a joke, but there's some truth to it. And so what we're trying to do is kind of institutionalize the process of brand building. Obviously, nothing is one size fits all, but there are things that I get asked every single day like, hey, do you know a good digital marketing agency? Do you know someone who does that? And rather than do the analog way of replying to every one of those or thinking about who I know or who did I come across that week, we have actually taken all of our learnings and put it into what we call our M13 playbook, which is literally a digital repository of all our best practices and best resources. That's contacts, that's distribution strategies, that's broker partners, those are relationships, and have actually put it in a format that we believe if we do this well, will help brands start you know, faster, more time efficiently. Our, our book is all about time is the new money. So it's about trying to launch brands at scale so we can do it in a repeatable way and launch brands more quickly and more often than we previously would have been able to. Cool. So tell us more about where people can find out more about you and Shortcut Your Startup, which is your book, and all your social channels. I know you're a little bit shy about being too promotional on social, but people can at least see pictures of your adorable mom on your social, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> if nothing else, please read the first page of my book because it's dedicated to my dad, and please look at my social media to find my mom. My Instagram is really easy. It's just my uh, first name, last name at Courtney Ream. If you find another one of those, I would be shocked. So it should be easy to find me there. M13.co, not .com.co because it's more trendy now. Is oh, a, is it? Okay. Yes. I learned so much from you, Courtney. Yeah. Yeah. I don't do a ton with LinkedIn, but I, I think I've gotten about three, four requests since we've been sitting here. So that's the world we're living in. And our book, shortcutyourstartup.com, there's a website. And then of course, since the whole world is on Amazon Prime, you can certainly find us there too. Courtney, I'm so excited to see how much more you accomplish. You're so impressive. Congratulations on everything. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Here's my take on Courtney's money story and what he had to say. Financial grown-up tip number one. So we focused primarily on the fact that Courtney's parents didn't spend a lot of time preparing or money on everyday meals and left that to the once-a-week sushi splurge. But Courtney also said something very important, and that is that they ate together as a family pretty much every night. And research has shown that leads to high achievement in kids. Specifically, dinnertime conversation boosts vocabulary for young kids. And for school-age kids, regular mealtime is a powerful predictor of high achievement scores, more so than time spent in school, doing homework, playing sports, and doing art. There's even more. Other research found that teenagers who ate family meals five to seven times a week were twice as likely to get A's in school as those who ate two or fewer times a week with their families. Now, full disclosure here, I am aspiring to this. It is not happening yet. So I'm going to put that on my fall to-do list. I will leave a link to the research in the show notes. If you want to learn more, you can find those show notes at bobbyrebell.com forward slash podcast forward slash Courtney Ream, C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y-R-E-U-M. Financial one-up tip number two, Courtney talks about checking the bill. 
and how the mistakes are usually not in your favor. No matter how much money you have, check the bill. I'm not alone in having caught so many things on bills that just should not be there. It happens so, so, so much. And as for tipping, I do believe you still aren't expected to tip on the tax, even though tipping expectations have certainly gone up in recent years. And by the way, my friends, did you catch the random knowledge about phone numbers that Courtney shared? Rewind if you need to. I was kind of fascinated. Maybe everyone knows that and I'm the only one. Anyway, Courtney crammed some amazing wisdom into this episode, raising the bar for my future guests. Just saying, keep an eye on this guy. And thanks, Courtney, for helping us all get one step closer to being financial grownups. Financial Grown Up with Bobby Rebel is edited and produced by Steve Stewart and is a BRK Media production.